The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store or via the app. The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever the mission, home or away, Enterprise helps over 120,000 people every day. With vans of all shapes and sizes, if you have a plan, Enterprise has a van. No matter if you need to rent for an hour, a day, a week or longer, Enterprise offers great rates for you or your business. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Welcome to Upfront with Ian Rush and me, Sam Matterface. This is the show that takes you into the world of the number nine as we find out what it takes to be a top-flight striker. Oh, there's Rush in there. Rush! Go! Ian Rush! Liverpool back in front. We'll discuss the career-defining goals, the pressure of being a striker and the feeling of when the ball hits the back of the net. And Rush is on the far side. Is this three? It is! You're listening to Upfront with Ian Rush and me, Sam Matterface, on TalkSport. So the Liverpool website, in its page dedicated to Ian Rush, says that all you need to describe this former striker is one word. That word, they say, is goals. Hello to the ultimate goal machine. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Um, would it be fair to suggest that you fall into that category of number nines of strikers that lived and breathed, not, not for assists, not for plaudits, not about being how selfless you were for the team, but for the goals, putting the ball in the net? I would say no, really. I think for the first year or so, yes. You know, I had a very good conversation with uh, Bob Paisley and uh, I played, I think it's about seven games I played for Liverpool and we'd won most of them, but... Uh, no, I hadn't scored, you know, and he dropped me and he said, you know, I must get greedy. If I want to be in a team regular, I must get greedy. And uh, that's what i done. You know, for the first year or so, um, all I was doing was uh, home to score goals. And in fairness, <clears throat> Kenny Dalglish did help me like that. When, he, when I got on the pitch, I was running around like an headless chicken and all that. And, uh, and basically it was, um, Kenny said, listen, you just score goals and that's it. You know, and then after a year or so then, you go that, then you, you say, now you need to help me now. And, uh, and that's how you become a team player. And i done exactly the same when Robbie Fowler got in the side. You no, know, Robbie was doing exactly the same as me. And I said, Robbie, um, you know, your job is just to score goals. Because when you come into the side, <clears throat> you, as a striker, you ask, you're judged on goals. And I think, uh, so I wouldn't say for the first year, yes. But I would say uh, after that, I'd become a, a better sort of team player. And funnily enough, it's quite interesting. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was driving along and, Obviously, listen to talk sports, and I was listening to Danny Murphy. And uh, you know, he played with Michael Owen. He said he was always annoyed if he didn't score, and I was exactly the same. But he said uh, there was an interesting point. He said um, he asked Michael, uh, "Would you rather win one nil and not score, or lose four three and score three? He said Michael said he'd score the three. You know, and for me, I must be different because I'd rather win one nil for the team to win rather than. Um, 
know, you scored three goals, but you still lost the game. And that's that's the way I look at it. And when you look at back at it now, it was uh, every time I scored for Liverpool, um, it was seven years the first time that when I scored that we lost. Yeah, I remember it well. Um, wasn't it the, the first time that, that, that you lost when you scored was in the League Cup final, wasn't it? Malby. That's a great ball. This is Steve McMahon. O'Leary coming across. He's left rush. And rush, as ever, finds the finish. Yes, it was. Arsenal 2-1, yes. And you know, I scored the first goal and... Uh, the two scrappy, I think Charlie Nick got one or two, maybe, you know, and uh, that was it, really, you know. And, um, you know, I was uh, more disappointed, not that I scored, I'm more disappointed that we lost. <laughs> you scored an incredible number of goals for Liverpool, 346 in 660 appearances, a club record. Take me back to that moment that they plucked you from Chester City in 1980. Could you have imagined that you were going to score the level of goals that you did? No, I think when uh, when I started at Chester when I was uh, 16, I was uh, just happy to play for Chester, you know, and uh, I never really thought I would, um, you know, go on to play for Liverpool. I was happy to play for Chester. You know, it was a, it was a big move to play for Chester City, so I was happy playing for Chester and no way in the world did I th- ever think, you know, I'd go on to play for Liverpool, let alone be the uh, top record goal scorer. You always wore the number nine at Liverpool, you you wore the number line a lot in your career. What did that shirt mean to you? Well, it meant to me, uh, you know, in them day, I think it's obviously changed in uh, the way the world is and the way football is today. But uh, number nine was was a goal scorer, and uh, that's the way it was. And uh, for me, it was um, absolutely a privilege, um, not just to play for Chester number nine, but to wear it for my country and also for Liverpool. It was uh, something, especially for my country in Liverpool, I never even dreamed about. Did you ever face a fight for it? No, I didn't really, because really I was happy to play in for any number. I, was, didn't, I didn't actually want the number nine. I was given it to number nine, so I would have been happy to play number eight, no, number ten, you know, and, and anything. So it was um, weirdly enough when I got the number nine shirt at Liverpool, David Johnson had it first, and I was um, obviously then David Fairclough was in there as well. So um, you know, to get that number nine at Liverpool, and it was just that Liverpool gave it to me, I think, to say as Mark, you've, you've earned it, and I think you have to earn your right to, to wear that shirt. When did you know that you wanted to be a striker, a line leader, the forward in the team, the the the, the, the point man right at the top of the formation? Well, I think uh, obviously when I was young, I scored lots of goals and all that. But I just made, I just thought it was just a hobby, to tell you the truth. You know, I scored so many goals and everything. Uh, but I think it's only when I went to Liverpool, at Chester, you know, you're doing your stuff and all that. But I went to Liverpool as a world record for a teenager uh, in 1980, and and then it was, um, you know, with this. Your job then was to have two years to get into the side, you know. And I learned that in the first year I got in the side in the first year, but I learned to to be the leader of the line then because we had some so many great coaches, you know, with Ronnie Moran, Joe Fagan, you know, Bob Paisley, Roy Evans. They all taught you how to do that without you really even knowing it. Were you really a boyhood Everton fan? Yes, I was. I was definitely a and funny funny story. I remember when um, Gordon Lee was a manager of Everton. And he came to watch me playing for, for Chester. And I'll never forget nothing in, in the papers on the Monday morning, virtually saying, no, I wasn't good enough to play for Everton. And uh, I was absolutely gutted to tell you the truth and all that. So three months later, I signed for Liverpool. And uh, in my mind, I said, I'm going to make Everton pay for that. Now Wheeler. They've taken the pace up now, Liverpool. Now Mulvey. Now Rush. Yeah! 
let's warm you up with a couple of quick fire questions and get a sense of who uh, Ian Rush, the forward, is. And um, what's your favourite goal? Every, that's most probably the most uh, question people ask me. But my, I don't have a favourite goal, and uh, that's what I say. When you see the smiles on the faces of the supporters, so I don't really have a favourite goal. What's the most important goal? I would say my first goal for Liverpool. No, my first goal that gave me the confidence to go on and be the um, uh, the goal scorer I was, and I'll never forget it. It was a European Cup game. It was at, it was at Anfield. I think we were six 0 up. So I think Bob Paisley decided. I couldn't do any worse, so he shoved me on, you know. And I remember scoring my first goal for Liverpool against the Finnish team. I think Ulu Passarala, and um, it was a tap in in the cup end there. So that gave me the confidence to go on and score the many goals as I did. Who was your favourite strike partner? Oh, in fact, that was only one uh, for me, Kenny Dalglish. He was uh, for me the best player Liverpool have ever had. Dalglish on the far side, playing in for us. There's plenty of football to be played, indeed. Again. Absolutely amazing player, and uh, you know I'm so thankful for him for not just being a striking partner, but also what he done to help me when I was when I, in my young days. Who was your childhood hero when you were growing up? Who did you look up to? Who did you go? Oh, I want to be that guy. Well, <laughs> it was actually um, an Evertonian. It was Bob Latford. My well, Bob Latford was a goal scorer, and I I used to go uh, on the Gladys Street and watch him, and uh, he was my hero. And uh, I was actually on the uh, Gladys Street when he scored thirty. I think there was a prize for 30 league goals in the, in the late 70s. And um, I think Bob Latter scored, um, they won 6-2 and he scored goals. And he got 30 goals, you know, and I said I wanted to do that. And, and weirdly enough, um, the next player to score 30 league goals was myself in 1984. So uh, I always added, you know, he was obviously uh, my hero as a kid. Which manager do you think got the best out of you? Bob Paisley, uh, without doubt. Uh, I thought he was a the great man manager. People talk about great managers today. Yes, they were, but I think Bob Paisley, his psychology was absolutely unbelievable. But he said it in a very humble way. He didn't say it in a in a, in a forceful way. He was uh, he knew how to get the best out of players. But man management, I thought he was absolutely brilliant, and he was the one that gave me the confidence. No, remember I'm the big iron Bob when he when he dropped me, and I, I asked for a transfer. And he said, "Okay, then you you, you can go and um, you can go on the transfer list." And then he said, "So I played in reserves, and David Johnson got injured. You know, I come on, and I think I scored about seven goals in about three games in the first team." And uh, he brought me in after, and he said, "Right, I'm going to give you that prize you asked for." And I said to him, uh, "Does that mean I'm off the transfer list?" And he actually said, "You're never even on it." You know, and when you look at it like that, is the psychology what he got was uh, was absolutely amazing, and he for me was out doubt uh, the best manager I played under. What was your worst miss? I've had plenty of them, by the way. So uh, you know, I had lo- but one that always stands out for me, and uh, I never get it was um, we played Manchester United, and I think I scored against most team for as long time before I scored against Manchester United, yeah. and uh, I never get uh, Robbie Fowler was playing and. Uh, you know, and he put on a play for me and I missed, you know, and uh, next time I remember playing them, I was in exactly the same position and Robbie decided to shoot and he scored, you know, so, uh, but he never forgets, uh, Robbie always brings that, the reason why I didn't say that, because he always brings up every time I see him, he said, remember that miss, I get a later on play for you and you missed, so uh, I'd most probably say one of them. <laughs> Which defender was your toughest opponent? I would say Paul McGrath, and you know, he's one of them, he was absolutely amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons why it took me so long to score against uh, Manchester United. Paul McGrath was, but he was a gentleman as well. 
know, you get players who kick you from behind, torture you and all that. Paul never said a word. And uh, at the end of the game, I'll never forget, Paul McGrath keeps on, he always came up to me in the, the Irish accent and said, thank you very much, Mr. Bush. And that bugged me so much after the game, you know, it was <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. He was, for me, um, absolutely quality player. And the other one I would say when I was in Italy, uh, Franco Brazi. Weirdly enough, Franco Brazi wasn't quick. And in them days, I was quick and I thought I can easily get past him. But he read the game so well, you know, I just could not get past him. And rushes on the far side. Is this three? It is! Johnston got to it. Rush! In injury time. Oh, there's Rush in there. Rush! Go! Cover is arriving, but not quickly enough. Who's there? You've guessed. Ian Rush. In 1981-82, you scored 30 goals. Um, then you scored 31 goals, then 47 goals, then 26 goals, then 33, and in 86-87, 40. Did you set yourself targets? No, I didn't set myself targets. I, I was... Um... Every time there, I want to better myself. I, I want to uh, not just uh, as goals, as scoring goals, but also as a player. And I kept myself uh, setting targets and all that. And weirdly enough, I didn't know until you said that, you know, how many goals I scored. I keep on beating them. Uh, the 26 goals I scored, I, I think I was uh, I had a cartilage injury, so I was out for a couple of months. So, uh, <laughs> how so can it, you be disappointed about 26? <laughs> yeah, it was just one of them days. But uh, no, I, I just wanted to better myself all the time. I never set myself targets uh, because um, it's just one of them things. If you never achieve, never met them, uh, you're most probably be disappointed. But uh, you know, um, I never really set myself. Targets. I just wanted to try and better myself all the time as a goal scorer and also as a player. Did your managers set your targets or tell you what they wanted or expected from you every year? No, no, they, they just, uh, they let me get on with it. And again, I think they knew the personality of myself. I think if they gave me a target and I didn't meet them, uh, I think uh, I'd most probably go, I'd lose my confidence or something like that. But uh, they just, they never gave me a target and all that. They just said, just go out there and do uh, what, what, you, what is best and that's scoring goals. That's a useful ball by McMahon to rush. Well, the pass was a great deal better than the finish, it should be said. Did you care about missing? This, for me, uh, what I'm saying now, this is a secret uh, that, for me, I did not bother me one bit if I missed a goal. And um, the secret of uh, top strikers and all that is that they're never scared to miss. And it's weird enough, you can miss six open goals, right? And then you score, to score one, everyone forgets about the six you missed. Uh, and I think it comes down to mental toughness. I think to be a striker, all the top strikers, I coach Michael Owen and all that, you know, and uh, Michael set the targets and all that with all these different ones. But I think his mental toughness is like mine, where it doesn't matter how many you miss, more matters more is like those who score. What was it like in September 1981 when you scored that first goal? You mentioned it was in the European Cup. You came off the bench. It was in a game which your team were definitely going to win anyway. Yeah. Did you, I suppose, have no pressure on you because of the the match situation that you were thrust into? 
No, again, it comes down to, I was playing to leave Liverpool Football Club. I had the argument with Bob Paisley and I was saying, listen, uh, you know, I, I scored in the reserves, I scored in goals for fun and I was playing for myself. And uh, I came on, when I came on there, I said, listen, I'm not going to pass to anyone because I'm not going to be playing for this club much longer. I'm going to move on to someone else. And when I scored the goal, it was, um, it was, a, it was a great feeling the top end. But uh, for me, the feeling was that I'm going to score more goals. The more goals I score, the more chance I'd get a lead in Liverpool football club. Well, you ended that season as the top scorer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing because when I scored that goal, uh, we played, uh, I think we played the League Cup and uh, in the early rounds, then we played both home and away. Mm. And we played Exeter City away. You know, we won 5 0, I scored two. On a Saturday, we played my, my first league game, we played Leeds United in the league. We won 3 0, I scored two. And we played Exeter City again on a Wednesday. We won 5 0 at Anfield and I scored two again. So, really, I scored like seven goals in the space of maybe, you know, 10 or 12 days. And, uh, you know, that's the, um, that's uh, that game in the conference. And I still then, it was only until I went to see Bob Paisley, I was telling you before, that I was still playing to leave Liverpool Football Club. Did the goal scoring instinct come naturally to you or did you have to work at it? I do think it's natural. Again, when I remember Gerard Ullier get me in to be a striker coach and people saying, oh, it's natural and all that. Yeah, I, I do think it's natural where I think you're not going to make a £60 million player an £100 million player, but I think you can make a, a £5 million player into a £10 million player. And that's, uh, and that's by giving them the confidence and, again, by giving them mental toughness in you. And it, you're only maybe improving about maybe 1% or 2%, but you're making a difference. And uh, I think that's a difference. The first spell at Liverpool, what was it like to play in that team? Because it was an all-conquering side, a, a team that had won European Cup after European Cup. Liverpool are European champions! Alan Kennedy's penalty goal leaves Rome distraught and Merseyside jubilant. Who, who, who was key to your success well, I think obviously the coaching staff are major key, but weirdly enough, like it's it's only when you don't win things you look back now and say, what a hell of a side that was and all mm. that. I think it's it's the um, the dressing room, the banter in the dressing room, and everyone keeping their feet on the ground and playing playing wise. I think you no know, Kenny Dalglish, you no know, Graham Souness, they were all absolutely incredible, but they kept your feet on the ground. But they made, I think they made us uh, the team that we were. What was it like going from Dalglish's strike partner to working under him as he was the player manager? He knew what to do, to tell you the truth. I think, you know, sometimes you still call him Kenny. You know, I think he gave us, a, you know, you get like six months from calling Kenny to boss and all that. And he could be, Kenny could be your mate on the, on the coach going towards a game. And on the Monday, he'll be the manager. He was, uh, he was so tough on that. And I thought he adapted to it absolutely amazing, you know, and especially in his first year when we'd done a double. It was um, it's absolutely amazing. I remember, forget, uh, Paul Walsh was telling to me, uh, I think Kenny came back for the last few games for the double-winning season. And, and he pulled Paul Walsh in. And Walsh, was, uh, I think he scored about 20 goals in about 24 games. And he, he had to tell Walsh, uh, Walsh he wasn't playing. You know, and no one else would put up with that. But what Paul Walsh said, because it's Kenny Dalglish, you know, I was happy to sit today, you know, because Kenny was that good, uh, both as a manager and as a player. That 
85-86 season, really special. You scored 33 goals, but Liverpool were involved in a in a battle with Everton in the league and then in the FA Cup final as well. What what did it mean to be a part of that double winning team? Oh, it's absolutely amazing. But what I would say then, I think Liverpool and Everton for me were the best two sides in Europe, not just in the in the UK. I think in Europe they were absolutely amazing. But I thought it was um, an absolutely uh, amazing. Uh, Epic of honor. like no. You asked me before when uh, what's your favourite goal, and uh, like I don't have a favourite goal, but I have a favourite game, and uh, my favourite game was that FA Cup final, nineteen eighty six. It was because when I was a kid, I dreamed about scoring the winning goal in the FA Cup final. Now I used to watch it as a kid, then go in my backyard and pretending I was that one that scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final. No, we'd be on nine nine o'clock in the morning till you no know, five or six o'clock at night in them days. The the build up to the FA Cup, you know, and um, I'd won the, the league, I'd won the League Cup, I'd won the European Cup, I'd won everything but the FA Cup. And then 1986, you know, my dream came true. At what point did you think you were invincible? Um, did because I imagine you picked up the PFA uh, Young Player mm. of the Year, the PFA Player of the Year, the Football Writers Player of the Year. As you said, you've won every medal there is. To, mm. to win, did you, you, you didn't really have an off-season, did you? I mean, we mentioned the goal record at this point. It, you were winning everything. Did you just think, oh, this is going to go on forever, this? You just took it for granted. And like I said, it's only when you don't win things, you realise you know, what's happening. But I would say the uh, that, again, comes down to the coaching staff. I think the, the coaching staff are brilliant because uh, every time uh, you want something, you know, they're saying, OK, the easiest thing is winning. The hardest thing is winning again and again. You know, and, um, you know, I think that's mainly down to the dressing room there. There's the senior ones in the dressing room and also the, the coaching staff, which uh, likes to, like I keep saying, Ronnie Moran, no Joe Fagan, Roy Evans, no the Tom Saunders, John Benison. They, these are absolutely amazing to, to keep your feet on the ground. Still to come on up front with Ian Rush, he explains why his career in Italy didn't quite take off. I had to learn about you no know, silly little things like going to the bank in Italy, you know, opening your own bank account where they couldn't speak English. So, and it's, it's weighing me down. You're listening to Upfront with Ian Rush on TalkSport. The Men's Room, a TalkSport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood, join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in-store or via the app. Hold that please, level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Planning to hire or share a car or van? Enterprise is there every step of the way. Whenever and wherever you need a vehicle and whatever it's for, Enterprise can help. 
With over 450 locations across the UK, they're just around the corner. Whether you need a weekend rental, a holiday hire, a replacement car, or you're planning a business trip, home or away, Enterprise are there to help. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. Strikers are the kingpins, aren't they? The, the, the man or the woman who takes all the adulation when the ball hits the back of the net. They wheel away in celebration. They take the applause after scoring an important goal. They get the headlines. Their image is the one that's always on the back pages. Bearing in mind Liverpool was the epicentre of football at that point, with Everton and Liverpool, as you say, the two best teams probably in Europe at that, that mm. juncture. How did you cope with, with being in that, that goldfish bowl, being in that city at that time? Because I can't imagine it was easy to go out and have a pint. No, I think it was one thing. But I think you have to realise Liverpool's a um, special city. You know, people are very friendly and all that. And uh, if you're winning trophies, uh, no, it, it wasn't easy. Because I had most probably high go help because I, I lived in Wales. And I used to come in, it just take me 45 minutes to come into Liverpool. Then I'd go back and five midnights out, I'd either be in Chester or in Wales, really. So, and that's uh, with, the, with the, the lads I went to school with. You know, I think that did help me in all that. So uh, it was um, pretty, pretty easy for myself. But uh, I think in Liverpool, um, you know, when you've been successful, and all, they all want to you know, say, oh, come out and have a drink and all that. And, you know, it's, it's one of them things. Yes, we, we I did do it a few times and all that. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a regular thing for me. So uh, I think it helped me by, by living in Wales. Nowadays, when you move to a football club, there's player liaison officers. There's people that make sure that you settle in well and give you every creature comfort that you could possibly hope to have. How did Liverpool settle in a 19-year-old in 1980? Or or did you commute right from the very off? I did commute right from the off and all that. But uh, I think in Liverpool, there was no player liaison officer. then. It was uh, one of of them. And yeah, it was either sink or swim, to tell you the truth. No, I think it's one of the things you set yourself tight, the, the, the coaches help you and all that, you know. But my big get out was when I did finish training, I would go back to Wales and I would be uh, around the my mates I went to school with. So I think that did help me and all that. So, uh, you know, I think it is have a sink and swim. And I used to go learn things in Liverpool, then I'd keep them in my head thinking, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I take it it wasn't the hardest thing you had to do make that move when you were only 19 years of age. I look back to the disasters at Heisel and Hillsborough and they left an indelible mark on me as a football fan. I imagine for someone who was present at both of those and involved in a football club as intrinsically as you were uh, that was entwined with those stories, it must have been harrowing. I know you were heavily involved in going to the funerals of many of the victims of the Hillsborough disaster after the event. Um, what sort of mark did it leave on you? I think uh, everyone's different and all that, but I think uh, you know, the ISIL Nils were something that uh, you know, we must never forget. You know, a lot of uh, innocent people died and all that, but uh, you know, I think they would have liked uh, you know, to carry on and uh, play, uh, play football. But uh, for me, when you go to the funerals and all that, you realise football is second best. Football is nothing compared to what, uh, to what it done to the families. And, uh, you know, it's... Um, it leaves a, that's something I'll never forget. And uh, one of them, and we must never forget anyway. But uh, 
I know we have to move on and everything, but uh, yeah, they were difficult times. When did you sort of notice that it had gone from being a loud, raucous crowd to, to something quite tragic happening that day? I think there's two different things. I think the ISIL thing, uh, we didn't know anything. You know, when we got to play, the, the, the game got delayed and everything, yeah. but we didn't know anything until after the game. Uh, it was one of them when we realised then. And looking back now, I don't think the game should have been played no. because, first of all, it was... Uh, you know, it was uh, wasn't fit enough to hold the cup final, but uh, I think uh, the Hillsborough was. I was actually on the bench actually uh, uh, when Hillsborough. So after about, you know, I think it was you no know, nine ten minutes. You know, then, but we could actually in the dressing room we knew um, you no know, there was a big problem. You know, and uh, Kenny uh, Kenny just said, "Listen, you no, know, stay there, stay in the dressing room now." But all um, oh, things were people coming through the dressing rooms and everything and. You know, we knew from then that the game was never going to start again, and they knew there was a massive problem going on there. But we didn't know the extent of it, you know, until um, no, maybe um, maybe a few hours later. After your first spell at Liverpool came to an end, you went to Juventus, and I, it was one of an, it was an odd situation because you were going to Juventus, and then Michel Platini said, "Actually, do you know what? I'm going to stick around for an extra year." As a result, of that you were like, "Well, what am I going to do now?" Because they could only have two foreign players at the time, and they already had Michael Laudrup. So, yeah. so, 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 did you come up with the idea of staying at Liverpool for an extra year? Yes, it was me because when I negotiated with them and everything, you know, they, they wanted me to sign and they wanted me to go to Lazio for a year, you know. And I said, well, uh, I'm not going any other club, you know. Uh, if I come, I'm, I'm staying at Liverpool. Otherwise, you know, I'm going straight to, um, you know, to Juventus. So I think from from that point of view, it was uh, there's only one team. I was never going to go to Lazio, mm. and uh, so I stayed at Liverpool for another year. <laughs> Attenzione Enrico, 43esimo minuto a Torino, Juventus nuovamente in vantaggio. Il gol è stato segnato da Rush con una girata in piena area di rigore. Why did you choose Juventus? I chose Juventus because for me, um, you know, all the best players in the world were playing in Italy. I think it's equivalent maybe to the Premiership now when uh, there's absolutely amazing players, you know, Diego Maradona, you know, Rudolf, like Michael Van Basten, uh, no, they'd like to Rudy Voller and Lothar uh, Mateus. I wanted to try and pit me wits against the best in the world. And obviously, they were known as the best defenders in the world, the Italians. So uh, I wanted to go and um, see what it was like. What did you learn? I learned a lot. I think, um, you know, when I went to Juventus, weirdly enough, uh, I'll never forget the first day training uh, I had at Juventus. Uh, Michel Platini was, uh, was training with us. And he's, he, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, you come to the right club at the wrong time. I said, I said, Cheers. why is that? Yeah, he said, I said, why was that? He said, because I'm retiring. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, so I thought, I should have realised then, you know, uh, because uh, but he actually said, you know, we had seven new players when, uh, when I signed for Juventus and uh, <clears throat> it took us time to adapt. And for me, it was, um, it was a learning kit. But I, I learned how to be a better all-round player, you know, and... Uh, Looking back now, I'm sorry, it's, everything's great in hindsight now, but uh, if I went to, if I was going to Italy now, I would go and say, my name's Ian Rush, I am the best player in the world. And uh, there's first impressions in, in Italy, you know, and that's what you got to know, the, there was a rush of Juventus, the Maradona of Napoli, and things like that. And, uh, but I was thinking, if I went to Liverpool in the dressing room and said exactly the same, they'd all look at me, well, let's see how good you are. <laughs> and that was a different, I think it was the mentality it took me maybe 
five or six months to adapt the mentality of uh, the British player to the uh, to the Italian mentality. You didn't say that famous quote, did you? It's like living in a it was like living in a foreign country. I mean, a lot of people reported that they. When you were yeah. asked what it was like living in Italy, you said it was like living in a foreign country, but you didn't say it, did you? It was somebody else. It was Kenny, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Kenny. Uh, but, but no, well, because it goes on so long, sometimes it's easy to say, yes, I did. Well, <clears throat> for a fact, I, I, I have never actually been quoted as saying that. And it was Kenny in the press conference, because I, I was in there in, at Anfield, uh, you know, we're doing a press conference with Kenny. And as we're going out, one of the juniors says, uh, why, why did you, no, why did you leave uh, Juventus? And Kenny just said it's like playing in a foreign country. And suddenly, as you know, reporters are exaggerate. <laughs> it was one of them to say that, uh, but it was actually Kenny that said it and it wasn't me. <laughs> and I could put that on record. Was it like living in a foreign country? <laughs> uh, well, basically, it was uh, it's quite funny because I, I learned a lot. You know, when I learned, people say to me, you know, that, that you, you gutted or something, that you went there. No, it was the best thing I ever done, to tell you the truth. Both uh, not financially. People ask me when it was actually financially to secure my family. That was one of the parts, and I wouldn't lie about that. But I also learned about life off the pitch as well as on the pitch. Where I've only been in the little village in Flint and, and Liverpool, where I went to uh, <clears throat> I went to Italy, and I learned a lot off the pitch as, as well as on the pitch. When you returned to Liverpool, you you had a bit more competition for places, didn't you? John Aldridge had joined. Peter Beardsley was there. Did you did you thrive on that competition? Yeah, I loved it. You know, I thought it was going back because I think the year I was in Italy, uh, Liverpool again had a fantastic season. You know, they uh, no, I think they won the league. They lost to Wimbledon in the FA Cup final, but they had a magnificent team. And what, what Kenny was so good about then, when I left uh, Liverpool, you know, the way we played, he changed the way of playing. So we bought Beasley, Aldridge, Barnes, and I think when you look at that season, um, look how many goals John Aldridge scored at the far post, Edmund Min. You know, we decided to play Barnes on the wing, you know, Bezzi in there, Aldridge, and it changed the way of Liverpool playing. So when I came back, we had two ways of playing, you know, that way or when I when I was playing, uh, a bit of a 4-4-2. So um, I think it was a uh, Kenny different dimension, but as a manager, yeah, I think to pick the, the right uh, system. That first season back, it didn't click for you straight back into place, did it? No. I think, uh, again, you know, this is where I come back to in Italy, um, you know, I didn't even have a player liaison officer in Italy. You know, they're talking about it now. I didn't even have one. And so I had to learn about you no know, silly little things like going to the bank in Italy, you know, opening your own bank account where they couldn't speak English. So, and it was, it was weighing me down where, you know, I'm thinking, and it, it got down. I, had to, I ended up having um, chicken pox and I ended up having shingles, you know, there at the end of the season because I was so run down. So, um, again, I didn't go back pre season training with uh, Juventus, but. A week later, they made me go back, you know, so I'd done a pre-season with them. And the reason why you know, I came back um, was more probably because I think it was, um, no, we had, uh, I think we had, there was allowed three foreign players then, and we had four. I think we had myself, Laudrop, uh, Ruby Baos, and I think Zabarov the Russian. So one of us had to go. And uh, I think Michael uh, nearly went to PSV Eindhoven. But that broke down, and I think the best one happened was me going back to Liverpool. So when, when I went back to Liverpool and I started, I knew there was something not right in me. And I said to Kenny, I said, listen, I was playing games, but I knew myself I was only about maybe 60 70% uh, fitness and all that. And uh, that's why Kenny then said, listen, uh, you know, go on the bench. You might be better off coming off, uh, you know, coming on with uh, maybe you know, 20, 30 minutes to go to get to the end of the season and uh, have a good... Have a good um, 
I was going to go in to stay on and do the, the work, pre-season work when everyone was off, but obviously after the um, Hillsborough and everything, no, that changed as well. Oh, there's Rush in there. Rush! Goal! Ian Rush! Liverpool back in front. And Liverpool have won the FA Cup, the first leg of the double, and perhaps softened the pain that so many of their supporters have been through recently. What are your memories of that day? Because that was a terrific match. Yeah, that was an absolutely amazing game. And weirdly enough, um, you know, before that game, you know, um, I, I knew myself I wasn't 100% fit. So uh, Kenny said to me, you know, normally I would send you off. Um, in them days, it used to be a place called Lillashaw. Uh, that's when people were injured. They used to go there to get themselves fit. But Kenny, uh, Kenny was going to send me there. But then he said, listen, uh, it's, it's Everton. You know, I want you on the bench. But for me, what I'll never forget, when I when walking out on that there, uh, I can look, normally you'd see like the red end and the blue end, you know, Liverpool and Everton, but it was absolutely red, blue, red, blue, all round the ground, 100,000, and all I can hear was Merseyside, you know, and that was something, I don't think that'll ever happen again because everyone was together, uh, the singing of what went on in the semi-final, and it looked, it happened to be Liverpool-Everton final, and it was, um, it's absolutely amazing, because I, I was on the bench, I must probably took more in, because I was on the I was just starting the game and I was looking around saying, I know it's like, you know, I couldn't believe it, you know, um, everyone red and blue, everyone together. You're thinking, if I scored, which end do I want to? Because you didn't even know because it was one of them. And it was uh, amazing. And again, the Waldo scores early on. And I think uh, I came on with maybe about 20 minutes ago. And it was it was a boiling hot day that day as well, you know, and, uh, you know, and I came on for Aldo. And they scored in the last minute, Everton, you know, and you're thinking, what's going on here? And, you know, I scored the two goals there. And, <clears throat> and I'll never forget the um, the first goal I scored in uh, in that game then was meant I became the Merseyside's top goal scorer. I beat Dixie Dean's record, that mm. goal, you know, and that was something special for me again. But uh, again, you know, I think really because extra time, both uh, both sets of players were tired and they most probably came down to my level. <laughs> and then because they came down to my level you know I managed to score two goals um, that period of extra time was absolutely sensational and so was what happened next straight after that cup final you had that other epic night at Anfield <clears throat> the title decider as it ended up being between yourselves and Arsenal 1989 how much had the events of the previous two months had on the squad and did it take its toll that night I'm not sure it's single, but in between them games, by the way, we played West Ham and we beat West Ham, I think, four or five nil. And that meant Arsenal had to score two goals to beat us. And looking back now, maybe um, who should have just, we have to beat Arsenal to, because it was two nil, we most probably sat on that two nil. Uh, you know, because I played, I came in that one, I played against West Ham and I think maybe the Tuesday night, and I think it was a Friday night we played Arsenal. And um, I remember starting, and I got injured after about 10 or 15 minutes because I could not, I couldn't be growing after about 10 or 15 minutes. And obviously I couldn't physically, I couldn't play all them games because of my fitness. You know, so I was on the bench again and uh, you know, they scored 1-0 and we still thought we were going to win. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith. For Thomas, charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. I think if you're an Arsenal supporter, you'll never forget that. That must be something special. How can you go to Anfield and know you're needing two goals to win 
And um, so I don't think it takes its toll. I just think it was we played, we sat on that 2 0. Now that to score two goals. I think if we had to beat them 2 0, I think we would have beat them 2 0. But and it's all about the psychology again and everything. But uh, you know, you have to give Arsenal that credit. In 1991, you were heading into your 30s. The manager changed again. Yeah. This time was the end for Kenny Dalglish and uh, the start of Graham Souness's run. Mm. Did you feel you had to prove yourself again? Because it was another former teammate who was coming to be the boss. No, I didn't. I was actually made up when uh, Graham Souness became uh, Liverpool manager because uh, you know I, th- I knew him as a player. You now he's very similar to Kenny. You no, know, they're winners. They were leaders. All that, and I was actually made them. And I knew before they were um, going to put Graham as manager because he, he rang me up, and uh, I got I got asked about uh, Graham Souness by uh, you know Peter Robinson and everything. And I said, yeah, I think he'd be the best uh, best manager, you no know, after Kenny and all that. And uh, when Graham rang me up to say he's going to come as manager, I was absolutely made up. What was that period like for you personally, though? Because Liverpool, who have been so successful for so many years, I know you had the, the '92 FA Cup final. But it just felt as if the, the tight grip on English football had started to loosen then. And, and and that was certainly the case over the subsequent years. What was it like for you personally? Like I said before, um, it's only when you're not winning things you realise what's going on. You know, in the, in the 90s, we, we, were, we won the odd cup now, but we weren't winning the league. And you say, what's going on here? And I think when Graham took, uh, took over at Rangers, um, you know, I think he... Um, won the league easily, I'd say. He got a lot of English players up there and he won the league pretty easily. And he came down that maybe thinking he can do the same. And um, he, I think he changed things too quickly. It's as simple as that, you know. And uh, he said to the, the younger ones, he said, oh, you're the new kids on the cop and everything. And, um, you know, he went to the old, these old ones not good enough. And when they're playing games, the young ones weren't winning. Then he had to go back to the older ones and say, oh, listen, we need you. So I think he lost the young ones and the old ones, you know, by trying things too quickly. What he what he did have, he had the right ideas. And I would say now, if, if Graham Sooner was manager of the team now, he'd be right up there with like the clock, Guardiola and Mourinho, because I think he knows he's made mistakes, but I think he'd be an absolutely incredible manager if he was manager anywhere now. Before you left uh, Liverpool, there was a few more trophies to win and more epic nights. But I want to pick out one in particular. Barnes, Rush, Barnes. Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! What are your recollections of, of, of that night? It was um, one then because when you look at Newcastle then, they had uh, one hell of a side as well. Mm. You know, Kevin Keegan, Terry McDermott coming back to Anfield as well. You know, that made and everything. And I was on the bench and, uh, and I came off the bench then. You know, and uh, it was incredible to be part of it and all that. And, uh, you know, I say when Martin Tyler says that famous thing, it was absolutely amazing. But I was just about to have a go. I think it was Barnsley because I wanted him to pass it to me. 
he passed it to Collymore and I think what are you doing well he scores a goal I thought oh, that'll do me <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> absolutely made, but he made the right decision so it was uh, absolutely amazing and uh, now for me and I think that was probably killed off Newcastle's um, chances of winning the league again what was it like after being the man for so long um, yeah. to have Collymore to have Fowler come in and all of a sudden they were they were the number one choices and, and you were you were sort of back up for them did you did you feel as if you could keep them honest did you push them all the way were you responsible for educating them what was your role how did you see your role at that stage well when they signed Stan Collymore you know I think eight and a half million or something like that he was uh, you know obviously he was going to start and uh, I was determined to start again. You know, I think uh, I'd looked after Robbie Fowler and everything, you know, and there's competition for places. Only there's three of us, there's only two going to start. You mm. know, and uh, I think if you look at the, the first game that season, I'm not sure we played Leeds United or something, it was myself and Stan Collingwood that started. Fowler was on the bench, you know, and all that. And uh, and I know Robbie had where he is. He was more determined. He said, I'm going to get in the side. You know, and eventually uh, he did get in the side. Collingwood was always going to play, in my opinion, anyway. You know, because, um, you know, they paid that much for him, he's going to play. But uh, myself and Robbie were batting for places. And, um, you know, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. And uh, I get to the stage where, OK, um, I got injured and Robbie come in. And they, in fairness, they had a great partnership. They'd done really well early on, Stan and Robbie did. And I was there thinking, you know, oh, well done to yourselves. You know, was not, I couldn't complain because they were playing so well. Mm. So uh, you, get to, you get to the situation where you're thinking, these two are going to be here for the next five or ten years. You know, uh, they're playing really well. I'm not going to get in with them two playing so well. But I still wanted to play football. You know, I'm not going to sit on the bench, earn my money sitting on the bench, coming off. I didn't want that. I wouldn't be happy doing that, so I decided, you know, I want to move on. Now Gary Kelly. A couple of players in the penalty area. Here's Lee Sharp. And Rush. And at long, long last, Ian Rush scores his first goal for Leeds. You did move on. You went on to Leeds United, then on to Newcastle United. How do you assess those times? I went to Leeds United. Um, I could have, I could have signed for Manchester City and Sunderland. They came in for me. Sheffield United came in for me then as well. But uh, I had a chat with Howard Wilkinson, you know, and uh, had a great chat. And, and I would, was completely different manager to what Liverpool had. You no, know, Liverpool was all no. Let's see how good you are. Where Howard was more organised, I think, and he was more of a tactician and all that. And uh, I had a good chat with Howard. And uh, I, was, I wanted to go and see how he worked. And uh, the, chap, the reason I went to Leeds United because uh, I signed a two-year contract. And uh, I would say, after two years, I want you to become manager of Leeds United. And I want to go, uh, I want to retire, I want to go on the board. You know, and that was one of the reasons uh, I signed for Leeds United. Fortunately, you know, as football goes, three months later, how Wilkinson gets a sack. George Rehm comes in, you know, and the George says he didn't want me. You know, so... Uh, so I said, okay, you know, what, what are we going to do? And uh, he ended up, um, you know, he ended up put, put me uh, on the right side of midfield. You know, saying, he said, like, if you don't want to play there, you don't have to play. And I said, no, I'll play because I just want to play football. I would have played it right back if he asked me to. And I, he thought I wasn't going to play. And that made the decision easy for him. But no, I, I, I carried on and played and all that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the season, um, he just said, listen, you, you best find yourself a club. Uh, because you know you're not really wanted at Leeds United, and I said, well, you know, until I get a club, um, you know, I'm staying there. I've got another year to go and all that. And he had there's about five of us um, that pre-season. He had us um, training with the kids. You know, I felt I felt a 
it needed a bit more respect, really, because I was 36 years old. Mm. You know, I'd done a lot in the game. I know George had been fantastic in the game himself, you know, and I know I, good luck to him. But uh, I think he could have um, helped me a bit more there. Like, for one instance, like, we, they just signed Jimmy Floyd Asselbank, and obviously Jimmy was uh, doing weights, and George asked me at 36 years old to start doing weights. I think, are you serious? You know, I've never done them in my life playing for Liverpool. I'm not going to start now. You know, you know, and uh, obviously that didn't go down well. But uh, look, I got the chance again to to go to Newcastle, so I took it. You were getting on a bit, and at that time, yeah. you know, in the late nineties, early two yeah. thousands, it was it's not really usual that someone would play until they were nearly forty, and and and, and you did. What was the reason for that? Was it because you just loved the game, or you wanted to score more goals, or what was it? No, it was uh, just because I loved the game uh, and everything. You know, I left Newcastle. I went to be play coach at Wrexham, and I kept getting kicked to hell. You know, that uh, in, in that that league. You know, people loved kicking me then. I thought, you know, I was always, I was always going instead of going forwards, I was going backwards and all that. Yeah. And I realised, uh, no, this wasn't for me. And um, you now I decided um, when the chance came to go to Australia, and I played for Sydney Olympic out there. And um, weirdly enough, where uh, I scored on my debut, and that's the only time. I've ever scored on my debut for anyone, you know. <laughs> so Sydney Olympic was the first time I scored on my debut, and uh, it was great for me because I'll never get people ask me. Uh, I played till I was 38 years old, so I can say I played professional level, and I made my debut for Chess in 1979. So I played in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I finished in 2000. So I can say I played in uh, four decades, and that's something which uh, not many people can say. Um, at the end of these interviews, we've been doing a quick quiz, the perfect hat trick, seeing how well you know yourself. Um, are you ready to answer these three quick questions? I'll try. <laughs> uh, the first one How many goals did you score in Merseyside derbies? Look at that. Rushes through. This could be history here for Ian Rush if he scores. He's at the post. He might score now. He has. And it's the first hat trick in a Merseyside derby. It's 1935. 25. Correct. 25. 25. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the FA Cup final of 1986, the first ever all Merseyside Cup final, your favourite game. You scored twice, but who yeah. scored the first goal of the match? And Reed now sending Lineker into the path of Gary Lineker. And Grumelar saves. But not this time. And Everton are in the lead with Lineker. The first goal in the game, Gary Lineker. First goal for Liverpool, Ian Rush. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the season you were effectively on loan at Liverpool um, from Juventus before yeah. moving there, you scored how many goals for Liverpool in your first 21 games? 21 goals. 21 goals. Oh. 21 <laughs> games. 21 <laughs> goals. Brilliant. Fantastic. Um, listen, thank you very much for the memories and for taking us through your career. That was great, and it was great to, to relive some of your great moments and, and learn what it was like to be a striker when you were in your pomp. Thank you very much, Ian Rush. You're welcome, Sam. You've been listening to Upfront with Ian Rush on TalkSport, and if you missed any of the show or you just want to catch up, you can download the podcast from the TalkSport Game Day feed, available on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify.
The TalkSport Daily Podcast is proud to be in partnership with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Whatever your mission, home or away, don't delay. Enterprise has the vehicle for the job. Rent from the best lineup in the UK. With over 450 branches, Enterprise has what your business needs. From compact three-door cars to spacious SUVs and people carriers to vans, they offer a large range of reliable vehicles perfect for the job. To find out more and book, visit enterprise.co.uk. The Men's Room, a talk sport podcast in partnership with Toolstation. From masculinity to mental health, friendship to fatherhood. Join Tom Skinner and Neil Razor Ruddock for the podcast that gets to the nuts and bolts of what it really means to be a man. Listen and follow now via your preferred podcast portal. The Men's Room, in partnership with Toolstation. Save 5% on everything you need for a whole month with the new Toolstation Club. Join today online, in store, or via the app.